If you want to open your Bibles with me to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 23. Great, great psalm. Very famous psalm. Psalm 23 is, of course, the most famous psalm in the Old Testament, and arguably one of the most famous and well-known passages really in all of Scripture. Charles Spurgeon said that, that Psalm 23 in particular is the pearl of psalms. It stands out in that way. One, one writer, Alexander McLaren, he's a 19th century English uh, pastor and writer. He wrote that the world could spare many a great books better than this sunny little psalm. Psalm 23 has dried many tears and supplied the mold into which many hearts have poured their peaceful faith. Several writers went a step further and said that Psalm 23 is perhaps the most famous poem in the history of the world. And, and really, they may not be too far off, right? Psalm 23 is, is powerful and in some ways ubiquitous. We see it everywhere. And I, and I would venture to guess that, that many of us, even here, even if you didn't grow up in church, you could likely recite even the first line by memory. If not, for some of you, maybe the entire psalm. So let's, let's read this together. Psalm 23. It says, A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. I, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In verse 5, it says, you, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What a powerful image. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, we thank you for this, this beautiful ancient poem. God, that speaks to us, that speaks to so many of us in profound ways. God, I pray that uh, for, for maybe for some of us it's grown too familiar. I, I pray that we would hear um, from you uh, in a unique and fresh way this morning, that your word would be alive to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, for, for many of us, probably when we read Psalm 23 or when we hear Psalm 23 read, we, we probably think about what? Death. Death, right? I, I myself have read this, this psalm at many funerals. I've read this at many deathbeds and hospital beds and with people in the midst of suffering. <clears throat> with those who feel like they are in that moment in the shadow of death. And this psalm, is, this psalm is a great comfort psalm. This is a great encouragement in those moments. It's a great deathbed psalm. But Psalm 23 is much more than that. Again, Spurgeon, he says, this, this has a delightful application, of course, to the dying, but it is also for the living. He says, the words are not in the future tense. They are not, therefore, reserved for a, for a distant moment. They are for us now. David says, even as I walk now in the shadow of death. Psalm 23 is, is as much or more about life as it is about death. It's about, Psalm 23 is about life um, among the Lord's sheep. Life with the Lord as your, as your shepherd. And the, and the poem begins with this now very famous line, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now it may, it may actually surprise you uh, that nowhere else in the book of Psalms Will you see that phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, 
Psalm 23 is the only psalm that says that. Every other psalm will say something like, the Lord is our shepherd, sort of collectively as a congregation, or the Lord is shepherd over Israel, but only Psalm 23. Psalm 23 stands out in this, in this deeply personal sense where David is, is not just saying, you are the shepherd. David is saying, you are my shepherd, my shepherd. I think that's part of the reason why this psalm resonates so deeply with so many of us, right? Because we can, we can more easily put ourselves in David's place, making the psalm uniquely about us. We, can, that we, we feel like David is giving voice to our prayer. In this phrase in particular, the, the Lord is my shepherd, it's, a, it's an intimate and personal and relational confession. David is saying something about his relationship with the Lord. And he's placing himself, of course, in the place of sheep and God as shepherd. It also communicates something very, uh, very theological. Sidney Gray Donis, in his book, Preaching Christ in the Psalms, he says, in the ancient world, thanks, buddy. He says, in the ancient world, kings were all often known as shepherds to their people. And so to profess, to, to say the confession, the Lord is my shepherd, is to declare your loyalty to the Lord, your service to the Lord, that you are submitting to his reign. Not just any God is my king, not just any ruler can be my shepherd, but this God, the Lord, he is my shepherd king. I am subject to him. I am dependent utterly on him. I wish to obey his will and live totally for him. What David is saying is, is very simply this, and it shouldn't be lost on us. David is saying, I am a sheep. And he is my shepherd. Right? That's a, that's a powerful confession. I, I am his sheep and he is my shepherd. In other words, if, if God doesn't provide for me as shepherd, I'm going to have nothing. If, if God as my shepherd doesn't lead me, then I'm going to be lost. If God as my shepherd doesn't protect me, then I could be destroyed. I, I am his sheep and he is my shepherd. Again, Spurgeon on, this, uh, on his commentary on the Psalm 23, he said, the most precious word, the sweetest word of this whole psalm is the word my. This, this personal connection. He says he doesn't say that the Lord is shepherd of the world at large, although of course he is. He says the Lord is my shepherd. And if he be a shepherd to no one else, he at least is a shepherd to me. He cares for me. He, he watches over me. He preserves me. And that, that little word, right, is the word that makes all the difference for us, really. My. Can we, can we say that the Lord is my shepherd? Some of us, we stand at a distance and we sort of agree that, the, that God is a shepherd, that Jesus is the good shepherd. We get there, but have we put ourselves and have we understood what it means to be among his sheep and for him to lead us as a shepherd? The whole psalm really flows from this confession. Not just God is a shepherd, but God is my shepherd. I read somewhere that you could add the word because to the beginning of this uh, passage. And it would, it would sort of help us more clearly see the connection between our relationship with the Lord and the way that we experience life. Right. So, so in other words, you could say this. That because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Because he is my shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Because he is my shepherd, he leads me to still waters. Because he is my shepherd, my soul is restored. My soul is resurrected. That, that word there, restored, is, is like bringing up someone from the grave. Because he is my shepherd, he leads me in paths of righteousness. And he, he does it not only for me, he does it for me, but not only for me, he does it for his namesake because he is a faithful shepherd king. Shepherd king. 
Augustine says that when you, when you say that confession, the Lord is my shepherd, then there, you, you have no more proper grounds uh, to trust in yourself, right? Because sheep are utterly dependent on their shepherd. Or to put it another way, if I am, if I am not among the Lord's sheep, then I have no guarantee of provision or safety or direction or rest or restoration or even of righteousness, because he, as my shepherd, is, is leading me in that way. And in many ways, this is the whole point of Psalm 23. David, David doesn't use the metaphor, he could, he doesn't use the metaphor of a soldier and a general, right? He, he uses the metaphor of sheep and a shepherd. That's not a, that's not a very flattering metaphor for David to use, right? This is, this is the image of vulnerability. This is an image of utter dependence. David, David of course, was himself a shepherd, right, as a young boy. He, he, knows, uh, he knows, frankly, that sheep are dumb, right? Sheep, sheep are not self-sufficient. Sheep are not self-motivated. Sheep are not, are not, are not leaders, right? They're sheep. Sheep are stubborn. Sheep, sheep wander off without guidance into unsafe territory, Sheep must be led to nourishment, especially in the desert in which David is writing this. Sheep even struggle to, to find a place to rest. Sheep, sheep, sheep struggle to lay down. There was uh, one author, uh, Philip Keller, you may be familiar, a very, very popular book, uh, a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, written by a guy named Philip Keller. He was a, uh, a photographer and a writer. Uh, he was actually born in East Africa and, uh, to, to missionary parents, and he spent some time himself working as a shepherd. And he wrote in this book, uh, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, he says, it's, it's almost impossible for sheep to be made to lie down. He says, because they're so timid, they refuse to lie down unless they're free of all fear. Because of the social behavior within a flock of sheep, they will not lie down unless they are free from friction within, uh, uh, with others of their same kind. If they're tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when they are free from pests can they finally relax. Sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. If they are hungry, they cannot sleep. And so this is, this is what David is saying. David is saying this, this is what the Lord, our shepherd, does for his people, does for his sheep. It, 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 to, to be among the Lord's sheep is to be freed from fear. It's to have relationships restored, friction reduced, to have comfort in the midst of anxiety, to be, to be well cared for, right, and well served, to trust in the leadership of the shepherd, this is life under the care of the shepherd, that, that we lack nothing. That's what David says. Because he is our shepherd, I lack nothing. I shall not want. And yet we, we know, all of us know, of course, um, life is not always easy, right? In fact, it's mostly not easy. Life is mostly not easy. Life is mostly a struggle. And the, and the scriptures promise that. We've read that before. David says there in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So there's a, there's a turn here, right? There's this idea that, that God is there. He's, he's leading me uh, to the water. He's leading me to the pasture. It's this very pastoral, serene moment uh, where he is at rest. He is at peace. And then it, right there in verse 4, but now I'm, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But even then, I will fear no evil. Why? 
Because God is with him. Because you are with me. Your, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's not all green pastures, right? It's, it's not all still waters. It's mostly not. It's mostly not that. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's darkness. Sometimes it's despair. Sometimes it's danger or pain or fear. In fact, the, the word there, that, that shadow of death, uh, the word in Hebrew could be translated very simply, the, the deepest, darkest valley. The, the worst place. The most dangerous place. Even, even though I walk through fill in the blank, right? I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through the valley of divorce. I had someone tell me this week that they're filing for divorce. Terrible heartache. Terrible despair. Even though you walk through divorce, as God's sheep, you need to fear no evil. Even though you walk through financial ruin. Even though you walk through a life with a wayward child. Even though you walk through... Uh, even just a general struggle for, for meaning and purpose. What am, I, what am I doing here in this life? Even though you walk through sickness, cancer, COVID, even though you walk through mental illness or relational destruction, even if you just walk through heartbreak or simply the feeling that life, that just the burdens of life are, are bearing down on you, even though, Even though, even though, even in those moments, we need not fear evil. And why? Why wouldn't we fear evil? He's saying, I don't, and it's interesting that he's saying, I don't fear evil. He's not saying there's like, there's a complete absence of fear there. He's just saying, I'm not going to fear evil, but essentially because, because my good God is my shepherd. The the goodness of God can, can make right all of the wrongness of this world. All, the world is broken, the world is evil, and because of, because of sin in the world, there is sickness and there is suffering and there is pain, but I'm, but I'm not going to fear all that evil because God is good and he is with me. He is my shepherd. This is the whole point of the psalm. One writer asked the question, how can, how can life be green pastures and still waters and enveloping fog of deep fears or bitter disappointments? Right, when, we, when we look at our own life, when we look at our own struggle, how can it, when, when the sadness refuses to lift, when we have a habitual sin that we continue to feel trapped in, when we feel rejected by a loved one, when we feel just this, this deep sense that we are disappointing God, how can it be green pastures and still waters then? How can we find peace in those moments? The answer is there in verse 4, because you are with me. Because you are with me. It's very comforting to know that you're not alone. Most of the time when people come into my office for care or counsel, that's it's one of the, the, the first thing that, that needs to be, that, that I need to remind people of to center them is that whatever their problem is, whatever that struggle is, whatever that crisis is in that moment, they're not alone with it. People have gone before them. But you feel alone, Right? You feel alone in the valley. When you can't see anything else but the darkness around you, you feel all alone. But the whole point of the psalm here is that, that God is with you. You are not alone. This is important because it's, it's, it's not that we avoid the valleys as God's sheep, right? We don't avoid the valleys because we're God's sheep. It's that God goes with us through the valleys as our good shepherd. 
David shifts the metaphor here in verse 5 from, from sheep and shepherd to guest and host. He says in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, you anoint my head with oil. My, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy, they're gonna, they follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is, this is hospitality. <clears throat> this is hospitality at another level, right? And, and in fact, this is hospitality directly connected to the deep darkness that you have to pass through. That's what he's saying here. In the, in the presence of your enemies, right, right inside of all the crisis, of all the things weighing you down, with, literally with the enemy at the door, surrounded as it were, vulnerable, God says, I'm going I'm to set a feast for you. You can, you can feast there. Even, even there, in that place, you can celebrate. But because God is our shepherd, we can find peace even in the midst of pain and suffering. We can, we can feast and celebrate even in seasons of, of loss and struggle. Because he is our shepherd, we are, we are safe, we are secure, and we are, we are satisfied. Again, this is, this is hospitality at another level. It says the host, the host anoints us with oil. He brings us into the desert. He anoints us with oil. He says, my cup overflows. What it, what it means when a host continues to fill the guest cup up to overflowing is you can stay here forever, right? The wine, the wine will never run out for you. God says, sit and feast and celebrate and rest, even in the midst of the enemies all around you. It says, goodness and mercy will follow me. They will pursue me. They will chase me. I will not be able to escape from God's goodness and God's mercy all of my life. You know, often uh, that, that word there, when it says the goodness and mercy will follow me, uh, oftentimes that word in Hebrew is actually uh, used in the negative of like harassment, right? So the idea is like, I can never escape from God's goodness and mercy. Everywhere I turn, they are all over me. They pursue me, they follow, they are in the midst of my business, God's goodness and God's mercy. They won't leave me alone. And so my hope is in the midst of the valley, as a sheep wandering through the darkness, I, I realize in the shadow of death that, that one day I will be a guest at this table. And I will be a guest at this table forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some of you know a little bit of, <clears throat> of my story. I was born with a, a heart condition uh, known as uh, total anomalous pulmonary venous return. I had, to, I had to learn that phrase when I was a little kid and repeat it back to doctors and teachers. So I was, I was born with this heart defect, this birth defect, known as total anomalous pulmonary venous return. And, and basically what that means is that the blood flow from my lungs to my heart because of this birth defect is misdirected. And so it goes to another place. I actually have a, a somewhat rarer form known as cardiac because that blood is, is misdirected to the wrong part of my heart. Right, so when I was when I was a kid, this this defect was diagnosed uh, when I was only a few weeks old because uh, and my parents who were and my mom is here uh, and my grandparents are here too. Uh, my my mom was twenty right at the time when I was born. My my dad was twenty one, so it's hard to imagine being such young parents dealing with this thing. When I was very young, just a few weeks old, my parents took me to be seen because among other things, I was turning blue. 
You know, that's a bad sign, right? When the baby's turning blue, take them in. So, so they took me in, and thankfully this problem was uh, pretty quickly diagnosed, but the defect resulted in um, it, essentially a lifetime of surgeries. I was just in Texas Children's in May for a procedure, so this is just something that I've dealt with and will deal with likely forever, uh, and, and resulted in the implantation of a pacemaker, which I've had since I was just a few weeks old and replaced many, many times. My mom was recently going through uh, her attic, cleaning out her attic, and she found a box with some of my old medical records in it, uh, and she found a, a collection of letters from my cardiologist to my, my primary care physician, my pediatrician at the time. Uh, and and I, I just jotted down some of these, some of the notes that were in these. These are files, medical files. These are what they're writing. Uh, the findings are, are very worrisome. I have nothing further to offer as, as therapy. There's no real therapy to offer this boy. Prognosis is very poor. I know of no medical treatment. His parents know that the only way to face this problem is to be happy with every day they have. Prognosis is ultimately nil. So that's what my mom had to carry around in her 20s, all these medical records from my doctors. So my parents were told basically, enjoy the time you have with this boy because it's not going to be very long, right? That was the message and essentially the the kind of message that I internalized myself. And so for the first uh, few months and years, my life was filled with uh, various heart and lung surgeries and complicated medications and uh, and I'm I'm sure, right, a fair amount of heartache and prayers on, on behalf of my parents. I was telling a story recently. I remember, <clears throat> I remember this, this one moment, this one surgery. I think, um, and again, we have a fact checker here. I think it was maybe my third uh, open heart surgery when I was about 10 or 11 years old. And I remember the night before that surgery was happening. So I knew the surgery was happening. I was in bed. Um, I, I, was, I, was, I just started being overwhelmed. I remember being overwhelmed with this sense that um, tomorrow is it. tomorrow I'm going to die. I'm not going to survive this procedure. I don't don't mean to be dramatic. I'm just telling you what I remember feeling in that moment. I don't remember if it was was my doctors had sort of relayed the risk to me and they knew that, hey, this surgery, I mean, you know, let's keep our fingers crossed on this one. Uh, Or if I could just see it in my parents' eyes that this one was a a risky one. But I remember laying there and just feeling like I'm I'm not going to make it tomorrow. And this is the end. Spoiler alert, I survived, right? Okay, so tension is released. Um, I remember feeling um, these two very distinct and very powerful memories laying in bed that night. I remember feeling, and I was raised in church my whole life. I remember feeling, on the one hand, this real certainty. um, Again, maybe it was communicated to me that this was a, a sort of a big one. The certainty that, I don't think I'm going to survive this procedure tomorrow. Uh, and being really over, overwhelmed with that, uh, you know, be, feeling like literally I'm in, the, I'm in the dark valley. I'm in the shadow of death in this moment. I, and I, I don't, and I feel powerless against it, right? But at the same time, feeling, and this is by God's grace, by my parents raising, but also in that moment, having those two feelings together that on the one hand, I think this is it for me, and on the other hand, thinking, that's okay. That's okay. Because I know that this, I know that death is not gonna be the end for me. I knew, I knew Psalm 23, even when I was 10 or 11 years old. I wasn't necessarily thinking about this passage at the time, but I just remember thinking, I don't believe that death is the end. I knew that even if I, even if I had died, I would, 
I, it would be okay. And I, I was able to sleep that night. It, it, wasn't because, it wasn't because I had no fear. I mean, I feel like you'd have to be crazy not to have fear in that moment. But it was because in, in the midst of fear, in the midst of the valley, in the dark shadow, I just remember thinking, God's goodness is, can make even this okay. Even, even death doesn't have to crush me, literally. I don't have to fear evil. His goodness is greater than that evil. And what centered me in that moment and what has centered me uh, many moments since is the belief that no matter, no matter what I experience, no matter how, how deep the valley, no matter how dark the shadow, that God, God's goodness and God's mercy would follow me. My, that my future was at his table, at home with him, even, even in the darkest moments, even in the moment of death. And, and, one die, and one day, likely, we will all die. We will face that moment, not just a, a figurative or metaphorical death or a dark season, but death itself. But death doesn't have to be the end. It can be the beginning. Charles Spurgeon talked about death is just the front porch of the house. It can be the beginning of this feast. It can be the beginning of this eternal rest. Why? Because God is with me. We've talked, we've talked several times throughout this series on the Psalms how, how technical uh, and how creative the Psalm writers were in piecing these Psalms together, right? And, and, and Psalm 23, David writing Psalm 23 is no exception. David, David wrote this poem in such a way that there was, a, there was an exact and very clear center to this poem. And the center is this phrase in verse four, you are with me. So I don't know if you're the kind of person who uh, takes notes in their Bible or highlights in their Bible, but that would be a good phrase to highlight. There in Psalm 23, verse four, you are with me. We, that, that, that is, again, the, the literal exact center because, uh, and, and this is the way oftentimes you'll see this in, in Hebrew poetry, um, that, that that center piece is the real message. That's what they're trying to get across. That's the central theme. And, and we know that um, before that phrase, there are 26 Hebrew words. And after that phrase, there are 26 Hebrew words. This is the center and the core. This is the major theme. The Lord is with us. God with us. This is the promise of Psalm 23. This is, this is what the, the psalmist is trying to get us at. And of course, Psalm 23 points us to Christ, the good shepherd. It points us to Emmanuel, God with us. Echoing the theme of Psalm 23, Jesus will say in John chapter 10, I, I, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I, I lay down my life for my sheep. Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus says again in John 10, I am the gate. Enter by me and be saved. You can come and go as you please and find green pastures. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the lamb who passed through the ultimate valley of death, sacrificing himself, defeating our enemies so that we might feast with him forever. In the, in the final book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, um, God gives the apostle John this vision of the end. And, and, and here's part of what 
God just showed John in that moment. You see in Revelation 7, it says, Therefore, uh, they are before the throne of God. They serve him all day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. I, I always thought that was such a beautiful line. He, uh, he will sit on the throne and shelter you with, your, with his presence. It says, They will hunger no more, neither will they thirst. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. And here's the kicker. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. You hear that, church? The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from every eye. This is the promise. This is the hope. This is how you get through all the dark valleys. You realize that you're not alone, even in the darkness, even if it feels like you're alone, because the darkness is so stark. You know you're not alone, and you know this is not the end. There is a table waiting, a feast waiting. When the Lord is your shepherd, you can pass through these, the darkest valleys with confidence because his goodness and his mercy will pursue you your whole life. That's a, that's a promise for those who are numbered among his sheep. And will pursue you into eternity until there are no more, there's no more hunger, no more, no more thirst, no more pain, no more sickness, no more tears, only a feast. Only a feast and springs of living water and he will be with you forever. This is the promise of Psalm 23. This is the hope of Psalm 23. God with us now, God with us in the darkness, God with us at peace, God with us forever. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for scripture. God, I pray that you would, God, that you would remind us of this truth, that we would cling to this truth as your sheep. And God, I pray for, for, for folks here who, who are not numbered among your sheep, who can't make that honest confession that you are their shepherd. God, I pray that they would hear from you this morning through this psalm. I pray that they'd be drawn to you. I pray that they would enjoy you, this peace that you offer. They would sense your goodness and mercy at every corner. God, we thank you. You're a good God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.